Amen. Thank you, Kendall, so much. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, is that an uh-oh? I think whenever I get on, on one side of one of these pillars or, or not, I, I hit a... I hit a Yeah, I am between the tape on the stage. Hey, it's so good to have the Impact students. Glad to have uh, the teenagers with us this evening, and so we're pleased to have you. Here we go. Everybody, got your note outlines, and uh, you need to either have a pencil or a pen, and for those of you who are not allowed to use sharp objects, a crayon, please take notes. We're going to have a little uh, trivia game here right now. I'm going to describe an event. If you think you know what the event is, say it out loud. Here we go. The 40th year anniversary of this event months ago. May 18th, 1980, 8.32 in the morning. Those of us who were alive and old enough knew exactly what was happening on that day. 57 people died. One dude. Check, check, check. There we go. The ash column, 80,000 feet into the atmosphere. There you go. The ash fell in 11 different states. It occurred in Washington State. Mount St. Helens erupting, 40th anniversary. Doesn't that make you feel old? The ash reached as far as Minnesota. The boom was heard in California. It was estimated that the static electricity from all of that debris going into the atmosphere caused lightning bolts over two miles long. Over $3 billion in property damage. And so this was a big deal. Incidentally, if you look it up, which I did again this afternoon, Mount St. Helens will erupt again. Since then, it's erupted several times. There are people who do this stuff for a living. They're called volcanologists, and they study volcanoes. And what they discovered was, you know what? We're not going to get caught by surprise this time. We're going to be ready. And so after this occurred in 1980, what they did is that they positioned not only uh, um, microphones, but high-speed cameras of extremely high resolution that they were going to capture the next eruption and to be able to study it for science. And so they did. They had cameras posted all around facing the different, the different facets of Mount St. Helens. Well, sure enough, the next eruption was in 2005. It's since erupted again in 2008. Incidentally, one American president, it wasn't at this eruption, but one uh, American president died on Mount St. Helens. Does anybody have it? But great trivia question. Anybody have any idea what American president died on Mount St. Helens? Answer Harry Truman. Look it up. So they've got these cameras posted at different places facing the mountain. Suddenly, the mountain begins to erupt. Lava explosions begin uh, occurring, and so there they are in this, uh, in this control center, and they said immediately we know where the eruption, which face of the mountain it is. Go to camera two now, and this is what they saw. The wonders of technology, huh? 
Notice uh, the date at the top. It's an interesting. It's an interesting picture. Sometimes the closer you are to something, the more it distorts that which is larger. Mount St. Helens is an awful lot bigger than a house fly. But sometimes when you're so close to a situation, it can distort your perception that you're unable to discern that which is greater. And it becomes a picture as we're walking through uncharted territory, whatever you're facing tonight, whether it's a relationship that's gone south, a financial setback, a job loss, a marriage that's lost its romance, a concern, as our nurse shared, that we have for our children, an addiction to pornography, whatever it is that you are dealing with tonight, that can become so large that it blocks out he who is larger. I want you to pull out your note outline. We're going to begin looking tonight Each of these are titled with alliterative titles. Last night, New Normal, tonight, Facing Floodwaters. Here we go, Joshua chapter 3. By the way, once again, for those of you who were unable to be with us last night, this is based on Joshua 3, 4, where God says to the people, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And what we're doing, we're theming these talks each of these evenings Sunday through Friday, uncharted territory. Because all of us are walking either as as a world, as a nation, as in the state of Michigan, as a family, as a church, as a camp, we are walking through uncharted territory. And this has so many layers. You're walking through uncharted territory with your children, with your family. I've got a 91-year-old mother I talked with today. She's probably one fall away from going to a nursing home. And so we're in uncharted territory with my mom. We're in uncharted territory with three grown sons. You see, I used to believe this illusion that once you raise your boys and they leave the house and they get married, that your job of parenting is kind of done. Ha! Yeah, it's, it's a different parenting, isn't it? And the number of times, especially when when your kids get married and then they end up having children, our grandchildren, we have five. All three of our boys are married. One lives in Brooklyn, New York, and the other two live in the South Bend area. The number of times that I'm tempted to have to do this and not speak. Huh? We're in uncharted territory. Follow along, Joshua chapter 3. By the way, every time you see or hear me say the word Ark or Ark of the Covenant, would you circle it on your outline in the text? Here we go. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. In other words, what's going to happen? God is going to give credibility to Joshua as the new leader. He will say to him, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But that doesn't cut it in terms of the people. And so something has to occur to validate Joshua's ministry and leadership. This is what it's going to be, this this account. And I'll explain to you why it was this, this particular narrative. I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that what? I am. Don't miss that. I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the circle it, Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Gergesites, Amasites, and Jebusites. 
See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's the second usage. Of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's significant. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark, circle it, of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15 and 16 are key. Now the Jordan is at what? Flood stage all during harvest. This was in the fall of the year that they're now going to be attacking Jericho. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from where? Upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap where? A great distance away. In other words, where the water stopped flowing, they didn't see it. That's key. At a town called Adam, I've been there, in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, this is critical. Once Moses is dead, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to open up my cell phone because I'm going to read a particular verse to you. I can find it. Here we go. We have a problem. I am supposed to lead the people into Canaan. But the Jordan is at flood stage, and I'll show you what that looks like. I don't think you have any idea of how formidable that was. And so I've got to get from point A to point B, but we got a problem in the way. How am I going to do that? Now, I'm going to read to you, John in your margin, Joshua 1.11. I'm going to read to you from the NIV. It says, go through the camp. And tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here. Now, here's my question. Why don't they go south and cross the Jordan down closer to the Dead Sea? Answer, because you can't go around the Dead Sea. There's no, wa- there's no water. The only water is up at a place called En Gedi a cave where David cut off the the robe of Saul. But it's very difficult to go around the the Dead Sea, go all the way up there with 2 million people. you got a water issue. You can't can't quench the thirst of your people. So why don't we go north? You can't go north because now you're into the Golan Heights up in the Galilee. There are no passes through the mountains. So not only you can't go south because of a water issue. There's no water to drink. You can't go north because of the physical geography. Not only that, but God told them in Joshua 1.11, you will cross the Jordan here. And one of the takeaways from that is that whatever it is, whatever uncharted territory that you are facing, you are going to have to deal with it here. You cannot sidestep it. This relationship, this addiction, this issue, the situation in your marriage, you, you, can, you can avoid it, you can bury it, uh, you can ignore it, but I'm telling you what, it is very real and it must be dealt with and it must be dealt with here, Joshua said. Now, it's going to require a miracle and it's going to require a miracle for you as well. Isn't it interesting, and what's going to happen, they're going to end up crossing as we read the the text. Isn't it interesting, when God brought them out of Egypt, he used a water miracle. What was that called? The parting of the Red Sea, remember? 
probably the most cited Old Testament miracle in the Bible. He used a water miracle to bring them out of Egypt. Isn't it interesting? 40 years later, he is using a water miracle to bring them into the promised land. Do you think that is coincidental? Why is God doing that? God's in the object lessons. Just as I was faithful to my people back then under Moses, I am going to be faithful to my people this time under Joshua. Now, if I'm going to give credibility to a leader, I don't think this is the way I would do it. But that's because I was not born in antiquity. Are you aware of the fact that the greatest achievements of ancient generals are not winning wars or battles? The greatest achievement of Assyrian generals and generals in antiquity are water crossings. And so when God says, I am going to elevate you, I am going to raise your respect and stature in the eyes of Israel, he will do it through a water crossing. And isn't it interesting how he used these bookends of the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan River? How intimidating would that have been? Well, there, you, there are going to be four issues, and you can see them on your note outline, four issues, watch the screens, that he's going to have to deal with. Issue number one, here it is. Why not build a bridge? Two reasons. Reason number one, do you have any idea how wide, and I've seen it, how wide the Jordan River is at flood season. One mile. You're not, you're not going to build a bridge a mile across. But there's a second reason why you can't build a bridge. Does anybody happen to know what that would be? Bridges have not been invented yet. Bridge... Bridges would not be invented for another 600 years by the Romans. If you would say the word bridge to a Jew, they would think you're talking about a card game or dentistry. They have no idea what it is to cross a river with a bridge. You just don't do that. You, you ford rivers, see? And that's what he's going to do here. And so the first issue is the issue of width. That is a long way across. Issue number two. Any idea how deep the Jordan is at flood stage? Answer, 12 feet deep. Now, if, if I'm standing down here on the grass and I'm looking, how, how high do you think that pole is right there? That, that could just be about be 12 foot. You think? You think a basketball goal is 10. These side pole, that's how deep it is. So you're not, it's not only a, a, a mile across, it's 12 feet deep. And by the way, 2 million people plus livestock. Every day babies are being born. Every day people are dying. So you got people in walkers. You got people in wheelchairs. You got nursing moms. You got cattle. You got goat. You got sheep. I mean, they could probably dog paddle or goat paddle or sheep paddle across, I suppose. And so you, you, you've got this issue, you can't touch bottom. Even if you could touch bottom, you've got another issue, and that is you will sink in up to your knees. Even if you could touch bottom, you're up to your knees. That's why he goes, just going as far as your ankles. Now imagine... If those were just the, the, the issues, you might think, you know what? I think, you know what? Two Israeli guys, Frank and Larry, standing there going, you know what? I think, we, I think we can do this. I think we got a shot. Come on, Frank, let's give it a shot. And so they begin crossing and they start getting in the mud. Hey, it's getting deep, Larry. Hey, I know. And, and the people in Jericho, they've got crossbowmen. Hey, we hadn't counted on that. 
I mean, it would be rough. So you get width a mile across, 12 foot deep, knee deep. But that is not the biggest issue. What's the biggest issue? That's exactly right. Boom, current. Now, having been there five times, and I'm like I said last night, I'm hoping to go back. Let me show you a picture of the location where this happened when it's normal. Next screen. That is the Jordan River. For perspective, that's probably, at least today, it's about maybe 50 yards across. A little bit more than the width of this uh, tent of meeting. About 50 yards across. That's what the Jordan River looks like. I'm looking north. We're crossing. When you cross the Jordan River, you're coming. We were crossing out of the kingdom of Jordan. It's not the country of Jordan. It's the kingdom of Jordan. You're going out of Jordan, which is a Muslim country. Misplaced my passport there. You don't want to do that. You're coming out of Jordan, and you're crossing at what's called the Allenby Crossing. There's only three places that you can cross the Jordan River. Up at Beit Shan to the north, at Jericho, which is called the Allenby Crossing, and then down further south at a lot. And so we're crossing at the Allenby Crossing. We're looking north, and we're going into Israel. Now, let me give you an idea, and this next shot is at the headwaters of the Jordan. That was me 15 years ago. It's hard to believe. That is what it looks like at flood stage. A mile across. Those of you who have ever been to Niagara Falls, I wasn't nearly as impressed with the falls as I was with the Niagara River underneath. That is scary. I mean, these knuckleheads that go over in a, you know, in a barrel and all that, you think, dude, if you survive the falls, lots of luck in the Niagara. I mean, that thing is just churning and foaming. I'm thinking, whoa, dude. That's what it looks, that's what Joshua's looking at. 12 foot deep, a mile across, knee deep mud, and that kind of current. Isn't it interesting that neither God nor Joshua say, this is no big deal? It is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And by the way, whatever issue that you're facing tonight, I am not going to stand up here and say, it's no big deal. No, no, no. It is a big deal. The issue is, which is a bigger deal? Is this going to be the bigger deal, or is he going to be the bigger deal? See, that's the issue. And by the way, no way we're getting across that, or no way you're getting through this situation without the Lord. And let me tell you something. You have tried on your own. How's that working out for you? Sometimes we are placed into positions, and I mentioned this, I can't remember if it was last night or this morning in the seminar, that God purposely puts us in positions where the, unless he shows up, we're going to fail miserably. I think that's part of the reason why our nation has literally been brought to its knees. Because of the arrogance of America, we, you know what, we can, nobody needs to help me. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm not going to wear a mask. I mean, you know what? Guy says, well, well, we'll see whose knees buckle. As a matter of fact, this COVID thing could be the healthiest thing for America in the long run. Because it will force people to realize, like, we can't do this on our own. I want you to notice how many times did you circle Ark of the Covenant? Verse 8, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, verse 17, what? Six, seven? By the way, jot this in your margin. In chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Joshua, Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 16 times. 16 times. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us something. He is trying to tell us something. The, the biblical narrator is trying to explain to us I keep mentioning this because it's key. I keep mentioning this because it's important. 16 times in these two chapters. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was this big box about as long as this piano here, about this high, about this wide. Remember, it's this big wooden box, and inside the box are three items. What were they? 
Aaron's budding rod, a stick that suddenly sprouts buds. Okay, we're going to throw that in there. Okay, uh, yeah, a peanut butter jar full of manna. These frosted flakes, we're going to toss those in there. Okay, Frank, put them in the box. And the Ten Commandments. Now, on the top of this box is this lid. you got to kind of drag it off, and it's plated in gold. And what's that lid called? The mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat are two angels kneeling down facing each other. And by the way, there's only three kinds of angels mentioned in the Bible. There may be more, but the Bible only says there's three. Cherub or cherubim, plural, you don't say cherubs. Seraphim, Isaiah 6. And what's the last kind of angel? Archangel, Michael, the archangel. So you've got two cherubim facing each other. Their wings are coming up and almost touching. And the presence of God is said to abide between the wings of the cherubim. There's a song like that, I think. And so the Ark of the Covenant not only represents the presence of God, it's where God's presence is. Remember, you know, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. But it also represents the word of God because the Ten Commandments are in there. Now you can begin to understand why the ark goes first. And that becomes principle number one. Let's change the screen, please. You see, part of what you and I need reminded of this morning, and this is where you're going to lose your ball in the weeds, because what you're failing to factor into the issue that you're facing as you come to camp this week is that you're thinking that you've got to figure this thing out on your own. That unless you solve it, because you're an American, and we've got money and talent and resources and technology, forget about that stuff. What you need reminded of is that the Lord has gone before you. And it says, as the, the Ark of the Covenant says, all the people watched. And as the, as, the, as the priests stepped in and they're holding this thing, Frank and Larry are holding these poles, see, and, and they step into the water, they're ankle deep, going, whoa, dude. And, and, and what they're seeing, they're watching the presence of God go before them and they're keeping focused on the word of God. Unless you believe and understand this first principle, you're not going to make it. If you were going to make it on your own, that would have happened by now. And so I, I need to be reminded that whatever challenge I'm facing, God goes before me. He prepares the way. He is there before me, and I need to keep my focus on his word and on his promises. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Gee, again, that's Isaiah 43, 2. I wonder what he was describing. Secondly, principle number two. Here we go, Jesse. This is big. The Israelites discovered that God was working in ways they couldn't understand and in places they couldn't see. Once again in verse 13, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters will be flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And it's almost, you know, this is what Joshua is telling the people and God is telling Joshua. And if I was Joshua, I'd go, whatever. I, I, don't, I, I have no idea what all that just meant. Well, what, what's going to happen is that in, 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 at Adam, in the vicinity of Zarethan, the water is going to be shut off. I don't, I don't know. I, I've never, I, know, I don't know where those places are. 
Did it ever occur to you that when they stepped foot into the river and the river stopped flowing so they could cross on dry ground, did it ever occur to you, by the way, where was the river stopped up? Way back there at a dam. And it's kind of like, all right, for the timing of that thing to happen right when they stepped in the water, when did the water have to heap up back at a dam? Hours earlier, dude. They had to, God had to shut off the spigot upstream long before the miracle happened. You see, unbeknownst to Joshua and all these people, God was at work in the situation far before it actually happened. You know where I'm going with this. Has it occurred to you that with this situation, with my prodigal son and your prodigal kids or daughters or grandkids or your marriage, do you understand that God is working in places that you can't see? And even if you could see it, you couldn't understand it. You read this text. Now, the Jericho is at flood stage. I'm in verse 15. At all during harvest, but as soon as the priests who carried the ark and they touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the I'm thinking, by the way, are you aware of the fact that to, to this day, scientists and hydrologists have no idea how that happened? Dude, it's not that hard. It's called a miracle. That's why they call them miracles. That's why they don't call them ordinaries. See? It's a miracle. It's not hard. We just can't figure out how that happened. What? When God created the heavens and the earth with his word, and God said, let there be light, and boom, how'd that happen? I don't know. Don't worry about it. God's so powerful. By the power of his word, he speaks, and boom, it happens. John 11, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is in the tomb, kind of goes. I mean, it's a good thing he used the apostate of Lazarus. In that cemetery, had he just said, come forth. You had, you know, boom, 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 boom. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, I meant Lazarus, come forth. A number of years ago, a pastor down near Indianapolis where close where we live, youth pastor had heard they were going to have this large auction at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. They were going to auction off a whole bunch of stuff, and one of the things they were going to auction off was a popcorn popper. It's one of those calliope popcorn poppers. It's on those big wooden wheels, and, you know, you've seen these things before, and, you know, you go into Rural King or whatever, you got free popcorn. You got, that's, what, that's what he wanted to get for his youth group. Well, on the way, uh, on the way, he can't go. And he says to the senior pastor, would you go to the state fairgrounds and get this popcorn popper for me at the auction? Yeah, whatever. But what happened the night before was that at the board meeting, the pastor says to his board, I think God's given me a vision to put a playscape in our lobby. You know what a playscape is. It's those little, like, those gigantic hamster cages you, you see at McDonald's that little kids crawl in those little tubes and all those, you know, those are playscapes. You know how much those are? When McDonald's puts in, what, what it's called, is, it, is that what they're called, playscape? Playhouse, yeah, whatever, I don't know. I mean, my, you know, our kids are growing up. $100,000. And so the church board goes, ah, uh, no. So he's super disappointed. Now the youth pastor can't go get the popcorn popper. And so the senior pastor is tapped into service and says, all right, whatever. What a week I'm having. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and get your popcorn popper. Well, the senior pastor gets in a traffic jam down in Indy, Circle City, on the way to the fairgrounds. And when he gets there, he walks into this huge arena where they're, you know, auctioning off all this stuff, and he sees the gavels. There's the popcorn popper up there, and he's just kind of going, 
and the and the auctioneer goes sold to this lady right down here, and he thinks, oh, for crying out loud! If that doesn't take the angel food, for a, so he thinks. Well, as long as I'm here, I may as well talk to the auctioneer and see what else he has. Hi, I'm a pastor. I wanted the popcorn popper, but that didn't work out. Do you have anything else for churches? Well, no. Well, maybe. Have you ever heard of a playscape? You have a playscape for sale? Yeah. In fact, it's next up. No way. No way. And so, you know, behind door number one, the curtain opens up and there's a playscape. Underground playscape. All right, we're going to open the bidding at $10,000. Who will give me $10,000? Nobody speaks. Who will open the bidding at $5,000? Nobody speaks. Will anybody open the bid? Our pastor friend goes, I'll give you 25 bucks. <laughs> the auctioneer looks at the owners kind of like, Somebody says, 30. Our pastor buddy goes, 35. This is not going well for the auctioneer. $35. $35. Going once. Going twice. Sold to this gentleman who's jumping up and down right now. He is absolutely going bonkers. He's flipping out. He's going crazy, and people around him are slapping him on the back, and he goes, I can't believe that. I, I mean, I came here for a popcorn popper. I ended up with a $35 playscape. This lady walks up to him and goes, well, I just bought that popcorn popper. If you're a pastor, heck, I'll just give it to you. So he walks out of the state fairgrounds, true story, he walks out of the state fairgrounds with a playscape and a popcorn popper for $35. Now, let me ask you a question. Was God at work, even through difficult situations, fulfilling and accomplishing his purposes in ways that that preacher could never understand and definitely could not see. And see, you have convinced yourself, well, it can happen to him, but it can't happen to me. Because you fail to recognize that you are a candidate for grace. Yeah, but I don't deserve it. You're exactly right. You don't. That's why it's called grace. None of us deserves it. See? One of the things that keeps me going is that principle right there concerning my prodigal. This is going to get you out of the ditch. This will be the gear shift to get you out of the ditch. Do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is powerful enough to speak and to accomplish his purposes? We'll talk about this more. I think it's on Thursday. I think it's Wednesday or Thursday when I talk about prodigals. See, what I've done now is I've gone to go through my devotions. I now have this complete little uh, folder called prodigal verses because they just start jumping off the, the page to me now, and I just keep tucking them away. See, when you go through pain, you collect verses. Been there? Principle number three. Isn't it interesting? The ark, the ark hits the water. The waters recede, piled up in a heap back at Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. Isn't it interesting that Joshua does not say, all right, Frank, go ahead. 
You're first. Book it, dude. Larry, you're next. Sprint. One, two, three, go. Run. It's not what it says. What it says, verse 16, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho, plural. In verse 17, all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed. Isn't it interesting they did this in community? You have got to realize and understand that you're not going to make it through this thing if you try to fly solo. You have got to do this with Christian people. I'm not saying you stand up and share your dirty laundry with everybody, but tell you what, you better have one or two people in your life that you can share the dirty laundry with. People who will pray with you and circle around you and support you. My wife, Judy, has a list of 25 or 30 prodigals she prays for every day. It takes the support of others to be able to make a stand. I may have shared this several years ago. I heard a story about a young man by the name of Rod. Rod went to Indiana State University, happened to play on the baseball team there, and Rod was a Christian. Now, back when I went to Ball State, my undergraduate degree is from Ball State University. I went to Ball State in those days. They had male dorms and female dorms. If a, if a female came to our dorm, there was open vis, open visitation at only certain hours. Anytime a female was in the hallway, she had to be A, accompanied, B, she had to be signed in and signed out, and C, she had to leave by 10 o'clock on weeknights and midnight on weekends. Well, Indiana State was going to pass this rule allowing 24-hour open vis. What that means is, is that females can be in the hallway of male dorms anytime, day or night. They can shack up with their boyfriend all night long. They can stay in there. But here's the problem. It had to pass by 100% of the men in that dorm. And so... The residence hall director called everybody together. There was hundreds of, hundreds of guys in this dorm. Called them all together and said, guys, here's the deal. If we're going to have 24-hour open vis and let females in our dorm 24 hours a day, don't have to sign them in, don't have to escort them, don't have to sign them out, what I want you to do, I want you to raise your right hand. I mean, right hands were in the air, left hands were in the air, people were raising their legs I mean, it was, you can imagine. All right, put your hands and legs down. Now, if you disagree, stand. One guy stood up. His name was Rod. And he said, guys... I'm a Christian. You guys know this is not right. And so I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to vote against it. And the resolution failed. One guy who took a stand I was down at a camp near. Dayton, Ohio, called Ludlow Falls Camp. Some of you may have heard of that. Telling that story. After the message is over, I'm standing there and chatting with people as I do, and this couple was standing there, and a guy walks up to me, and he goes, actually, I played for the Expos, drafted by the Expos, and played center field. And that was one of the hardest moments of my life. My name is Rod Neely. You're the guy? Yeah. His wife, Chris, they go to Pleasant View Missionary Church down in southern Ohio. They go to Ludlow Falls camp, just like this camp. You're the guy? Dude, 
I have told that story all over the world. My name's Rod Neely. Gray hair, out of shape. But he says, you want, you want, Joel, you want, you want to know what gave me the courage to do that? My Christian brothers and sisters in my Bible study. My Christian brothers and sisters in my Bible study. He was involved in an university Bible study on campus. See, the only way you're going to make it, beloved, is if you maintain a perspective of keeping your focus on the Lord and on his promises, realizing which is bigger, that swollen river or this awesome God. The only way you're going to make it is by you recognizing that God is at work in places you can't see and in ways that you do not understand. And you've got to be okay with that. It's a timing issue. And thirdly, the only way you're going to make it is having people in your life that can speak truth to you and call you up short and encourage you and put their armor on you and pray with you. Who wants to sign up? In just a moment, I'm going to ask Randy and Marley to come. We're going to, I can't believe the songs they selected tonight, but one of the songs that we're going to sing ties in with this message that we sang it earlier tonight. And what I'm going to do, you can sing seated. However, I'm going to ask if you're a parent or a grandparent with a prodigal, And tonight, you want to say, you know what? I'm encouraged. I'm going to keep my focus on him, on God's promises. I'm going to believe and trust that he's working in places I can't see and in ways I don't understand. What I'm going to do, just like Rod Neely, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and come right down here in social distance. We're going to stand right up here. If you cannot take a stand here at Bayshore Camp, how in the world are you ever going to take a stand when you get back home? Whatever the issue, but especially for parents of prodigals, tonight we are going to pray for you. And I'm going to be right here with you because I got one. Let's sing, brother. Sing, Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. tonight for broken-hearted parents, for grandparents. Some have sons in prison, daughters who are addicted, shacking up with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, having children out of wedlock, caught up in a world, turning their back away from God, away from mom and dad, 
And Lord, tonight we collectively agree as a church, as a body of Christ, that you are bigger than this situation. We are going to choose to look to you, to trust your word, and to believe that you have gone before us. That even tonight in Saginaw, in Bay City, in Cairo, in Grand Rapids, in South Bend, Indiana. Lord, that you are working in ways that only you can in the secret places. You alone can bring conviction. It says that we are brought to the Lord because of his kindness. Lord, may they they be compelled by kindness. Bring to their minds the Bible stories that they learned as little kids. Bring to their remembrance experiences that they had with camp. Oh, Lord, tonight we ask that you would work in amazing ways. We can't see it, but we believe it's there. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things, what? Not seen. And we have full conviction that you are doing your work. Lord, we leave the terms and the timing to you. We want the pain to stop. And so if, if we have our preference, do it today. But that's often not how you work. And so tonight, we're going to leave this at your feet. We're going to choose to trust you. And I pray for these people who have shown real courage in admitting we can't do this. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus and all those who agreed said, amen.